This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. What is up? Steve Teal here with Very Bold Radio and Podcast. I am super excited today. We've got a difference maker, Chris Fontanella. If you're watching on video, you can see him. And if you're listening on KSLR AM 630 or the podcast, I want to welcome him to the show. How are you doing, Font Man? I'm doing very well, thanks. Good, good, good. I'm so excited you're here. We're talking about your new book, Against the Grain, Counterintuitive. First of all, I love that. Counterintuitive Ideas on Business and Life. Brand new, Against the Grain, Counterintuitive Ideas on Business and Life by Chris Fontanella. I love the cover. How'd you come up with that concept? How'd you do that? You know, uh, my wife actually came up with the first part of the, the title, Against the Grain, and um, we just started mulling over that concept in our minds and the the whole thing of sort of going against the, the grain and going against the stream yeah. and the current um, got us thinking about fish. And then, um, I just, honestly, I just did some searches on Google on different images around that concept. Yeah. And something similar to this came up. And so uh, we worked with our book writing company on creating this uh, this cover. I love it. I love it. Now, here's my problem. I texted you earlier this morning. I'll give a little bit more background on uh, how we know each other and everything. But um, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's the problem, though. I'm really enjoying the book, and I did not get through the whole book yet. And the pro- It's okay. It's, it's, huh? What? That's fine. It's, it's not fine. I want to have the whole book read so I can talk about all of it with you. Uh, but the good news is the reason I didn't finish it was because it was so good. I was trying to like really take my time and, and take it all in the different stories, the different thoughts. So the stories that I know about are in about your first, uh, four or five chapters. Uh, but why did you feel like, you know, you were supposed to write this book in the first place? And then we'll get into some of the concepts. Yeah, honestly, um, when COVID hit, um, I had a lot of extra time on my hands. Yeah. Um, I'm in I'm in the staffing business, and as you can imagine, once COVID hit, mm. there weren't very many companies hiring. They were probably, if anything, letting people go and sort of um, uh, retrenching and not um, adding staff. They were probably backing off, um, adding more people to their um, their employees. So I had all this extra time, and I started. Um, thinking about my career and noticing that there were these blocks of time that had some pretty interesting things that took place in those blocks of time. Yeah. And I just sort of saw an outline for a book in my mind. And so I took the time to sort of create an outline and I'm like, wow, I could probably write a book about a hundred, 125 pages with all this sort of stuff. And so I just, <laughs> um, took my six to eight hours a day and wow. applied myself to writing as opposed to trying to find people jobs. Wow. And so I don't know, within about eight months time, I had about 135 pages, I think. Yeah, I believe it. You've always been a good writer. Thanks. Yeah. I, I you know, I compare myself to, you know, you'll see quotes in my books from Herman Melville and Miguel Cervantes and other classics. And so to me, I suck. <laughs> 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 
I love it. I love it. Well, you don't. You you don't suck. Uh, yeah, the book is the book is really great. Um, I want to give a little background just for people that know me um, and on our friendship, and it goes way back to uh, to college. So, what do you remember? I told you off air what what some of the things that stand out to me. Uh, I'm going to brag about you on a second, but uh, you know we went to college, <laughs> the same college, right? Yeah, I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember. Uh, you don't remember, do yeah, you? Well, <laughs> some stuff's fading, but I do remember that we went to college together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just remember having um, – I look back at ORU, um, our ORU days with yeah. a lot of fondness. And I, I have a couple other buddies um, from ORU that I've stayed in touch with. Yeah, and the three of us, when we talk about it, it's it's a lot about how we got a fantastic education. Like yeah. I, I don't know if if kids today that go to school, go to college, are getting as good of an education as we got. I mean, we had. I'll just speak from being part of the school of theology. We yeah. had some of the top theologians teaching us yeah. in the country at the time. Right, and um. You know, I, so for one, I mean, I just remember having this desire to want to delve into the studies because I had a, a, a vision in my head about what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be as far as a minister and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I, I really enjoyed that. And then I just, I did. I made some lifelong friends there, some people that I'm still in touch with, yourself included. Yeah. Um, we, You and I have just sort of recently started um, having a little more consistency in that. Right. That's probably more my fault than anybody's, which the information's in the book as to why I kind of disappeared. But, um, <laughs> but those were just good good times. I mean, um, there was an innocence about the time that time in our lives. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, have a lot of really great memories about going to the aerobic center and shooting hoops and, yeah. and the intramural sports was awesome. It, and we had definitely, a lot of fun. Definitely, yeah. 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 So those I, are just a few things. I can picture you right now in the aerobic center. This is at Oral Roberts University, if you don't know. You heard Chris refer to ORU. Most people don't know that school, although this uh, March Madness, uh, we uh, – we, That's right. We – I never referred to we when ORU was not making the tournament. But this year I'm referring to a we. Yeah, we made it to the Sweet 16 and barely just uh, shot away from uh, the Elite Eight. So that's yeah. Oral Roberts University where Chris and I met. But I can picture you in the aerobic center. I don't know what it's like now, but there's like four basketball courts across. And I yeah. can picture you on the last one just shooting one of your patented – I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure they were 25 to 28 foot uh, shots. And nobody, now everybody's taking those. I mean, Trey Young, Steph Curry, all those guys are taking the long 30 foot shots. But in those yeah. days, it was you. And you would it just, was me. you would crush them. But those. you know why I was taking those shots? Because <laughs> I, I suck at dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to dribble. Oh my gosh, man! So I, you know, I did the two dribbles and then pull up and pop. That was it. Yeah, well, it worked. It worked really well. So, um, man, dive into one of your stories about uh, high school basketball. Talk to us about that. How did basketball go for you? Uh, being a Jersey boy, give us give us some of your background. You're a Jersey boy. Yeah, I am. I'm a Jersey boy, but like I, you know, and I reference this in my book, but I uh, was definitely a. Uh, 
a teenager that got himself in a lot of trouble early on. Um, I definitely had a misspent youth, so to speak. Yeah. I uh, got involved with the wrong crowd, and I really didn't get sort of on track until my junior year in high school. So, like, I was kind of a burnout the first two years. Okay. Um, and then um, had an experience with Christ and turned my life around. Wow. And then um, decided to uh, go out for basketball again. I had I had been part of the team when I was a freshman, and I was, I was pretty decent, even though I was a, sort of a, a party animal. Yeah. I still had enough uh, skills on the court where I made the team as a freshman. Um, didn't play my, my sophomore year because I was partying more than I probably should have and yeah. then turned my life around, tried out for the team my junior year, made the team, uh, actually became captain of the team because I was, I was probably overcompensating and working twice as hard as the next sure. guy to prove myself. Wait a second. Did they put you on JV or varsity as a junior? Uh, I'm sorry, JV. Okay, sorry. all right. That's what I thought from reading the book. I just want to make sure yeah, I yeah, got yeah, that. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. And so, yeah, ca- captain of that team. And yeah. I did really well. I started every game. Yeah. You know, I had a decent points per game average and stuff. And then come my senior year, um, different coach, one that had a history with my older brother, yeah. a frustrating history with my older brother. And um, man, he had a, he had a score to settle, so he did not play me once, except the last game of the season. Not not once. And not once. I rode the bench the whole year, except the last game of the season. I mean, and t- time out. Literally, so, or did you get like a little mop up time? Y'all are up by twenty or no, down by twenty? Nothing. I think there was one other time okay. where there was like eight seconds left oh, in the game. Oh, that's worse. Yeah, that's the worst. I'd rather yeah. sit on the and bench. It was, it was really Gosh. all out of spite because my brother was such a headache for this guy. Okay. Although my brother was the best player on the team, he just caused the coach a ton of angst. Okay. And so when I got there, it was kind of like he had a score to sell and he kind of was paying paying things back and taking it out on me. Wow. And um, But then the last game of the season, yeah. he puts me in as a starter. Because it's and I like go four senior. For four yeah. in the first four minutes. <laughs> Let me ask you this. This is one thing I had a question about. Did he tell you, look, you're a senior, I'm going to play you for four minutes, and then I'm pulling you out? Did you know you were going to get four minutes? No, he just, he he just, just put you in. He said, Fontanelli, you're starting today. It was the last game of the season. Yeah. And I went in and. Um, I took four shots, made all four, and then at like the four-minute mark, there was a timeout, and he he pulled me out of the game. And as I walked up the court, I stopped right in front of him, and I looked at him right in the eyes, and I said, you should have been playing me all year. And then I found my, as I say in my book, my familiar place on the bench (laughs) and took a seat. And so, but you know, it was, it was a hard. It was that was really hard for me because, like, I was riding this high from junior year. Yeah, JV. I had turned my life around, you know, I'm, I'm born again now and I'm, I'm looking for more and more good things to happen in my life. And then I hit this obstacle with this coach not wanting to play me. And, yeah. you know, I, I just, I wanted to quit. And my pastor at the time just really encouraged me to hang in there and persevere mm-hmm. and um, absorb the mistreatment with grace and and just keep moving forward. And, you know, and he, it was like you'll have an opportunity to say something about yourself when all is said and done. So four for four in four minutes, 
Why? I think, you know, I, I proved that he made a mistake. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why did he pull you out at that point? Like, you, that's eight points. Or did we have three pointers back then? Was that eight points? No, I don't think we did. Yeah, yeah. so that's eight points, four for four. Why would he pull you out then? That's crazy. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, this guy, he was a he was a cantankerous sort of dude. Um, <laughs> I remember when we'd have away games and we'd get on the school bus to travel to a neighboring city to play another team. He'd be right there at the door, and as you're walking out of the bus, he'd be saying, "This is not a bus. This is a tank. We're going to war." <laughs> Uh, I mean, I love that. That's that's just classic stuff. Right? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You're taking me back so, to my JV days. I didn't even go on to varsity because I'd had a, I'd had enough of the old school. Uh, yeah, tank and all the cussings and cursings and all those yeah, things. I remember some of the stuff you told me. I don't know if we could repeat it on air. Nope. You remember that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I remember that too. Hey, um, do you? When you look back, um, did you feel like telling him at that point? I mean, was that? Did that feel like redemptive? Even though you knew you were going to sit on the bench the next, you know, twenty six or whatever minutes, when you told him you should have been playing me um, all year, did was that the right thing for you? Yeah, that's, okay. that's all I needed to be able to, you know, to say like. I, you, because I didn't really know what all his motivations were. Yeah. I, I, surmi- I surmised those okay. and sort of drew a correlation because, yeah. I mean, he had knocked down drag-out arguments with my older brother yeah. in, the, in the locker room. And I remember that. And I just it, it just made sense that, like, there was right. something still there and he took it out of me. But being able to just look at him and go, dude, I don't know what, you, what was behind your motivations, yeah. but, like, you should have been playing me. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. But the other thing was there were a lot of younger guys on the team. I think there were a couple sophomores playing mm-hmm. on the varsity team. And I think he wanted to groom them to be better the following year. Sure. You know, like he, he had sophomores and it's like like to work with these sophomores and get them better for their the next year and then the year after that, like yeah. Two more years down the road, he would have had an awesome team. So maybe that was in his mind as well. Who knows? Well, that's a little bit of grace. That's a little bit of grace. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's just yeah. the way but it works. I have wor- no ill will toward the toward man. Oh, that's good. That's good. Did it take a yeah. little while to work through that? No, not really. Okay. I mean, yeah. You know, you just kind of you kind of move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you know, as you know, I got focused on like. Uh, religious endeavors and studying for the ministry and all that. So my, my focus ended up being somewhere else. Right. Talk to me a little bit about the influence of uh, George Davis, your youth pastor. Oh man. I, I honestly, I would not, I would not be here. Um, had George not played a significant role in my life. He was somebody, I mean, you gotta, you gotta envision I'm, I'm a teenager and I, what, when I was doing all my rotten stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing it at 13 years old, 14, 15. And it wasn't until I was 16 that I'm coming out of that fog and starting a new life. But, you know, I still had the, the pull of the old life trying to suck me back into my old ways and stuff like that. Sure. And George was a, um, uh, not only the youth pastor and then involved in, in, pastoring the church in general, but he was youthful. He played guitar. Oh my gosh. Um, he had a similar background that, that I had of like partying and doing all that. So there was a relatability component to our relationship. Um, and 
I just remember walking from my high school down to where the church was, which was probably about a mile and a half. A lot of days walking down there after school to just vent and get stuff out of my system or whatever my challenges were. Yeah. And he just listened and, you know, embraced me and, and took an interest in me. And really that, that friendship and that relationship kind of sustained me through the early challenges of coming out of my old life. So without George, I don't think I'd be where I'm at. Yeah, man, that's an amazing uh, testament to to him and his relationship with you. All right. I've got a little parenthetical note. This is not really fair. And then we're, we're going to move on to kind of, um, you know, how you went from ministry to this incredible success that you've got, uh, that you've you've had okay. throughout your life, but one parenthetical thing, because I do youth ministry as well. Um, I've got you know, let's just say hypothetically, I've got a kid who's riding the bench in a certain sport. Uh, tell me what advice you would give this kid. Like, how do you handle something with grace when you look and you're like, I should be out there playing? Give me some advice to hand on to this kid. I would keep the concept of perseverance in your head and um, and don't change your behavior as and so don't let the fact that you're you're not getting play time and you're not getting court time change your behavior in your your daily habits in practice mm. um, and um, you know keep still keep yourself to a high standard and then just know that you know, we don't always get the rewards when we want to get the rewards, right? Like right. So sometimes, um, you know, sometimes we get what we deserve and sometimes we don't. Yeah. And, you know, and every dog has his or her day. And so sometimes, you know, there's a bag of poop on your, your front porch. <laughs> and that's that's just what you're getting today. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just, just absorb it with grace and just know that, there, you know, something good is going to come down the road. So it's it's just persevering through all that hard the hard times and then wait for the good stuff to come. And it, it comes around. Yeah. Well, that sounds a little bit like that could be a little bit of a uh, segue uh, for the drop, the hard pan. It sounds like something oh, that yeah. maybe you've persevered through. What can you tell us about that? That was great advice for uh, this young man. So I appreciate that. Tell us about the drop or the hard pan. What does that mean in your book? Counterintuitive ideas on business and life against the grain. Love that. Yeah, you know, every, everybody, I, I think it's human nature. We want, we want the easy path, right? And a, a lot of times we don't, we don't really appreciate that sometimes to get to the top, you got to go to the bottom. Yeah. And a, a lot of times mm. we hit rock bottom because of stupidity or dumb decisions we make. Um, but sometimes just life events happen that send you there, whether um, a loved one passes away you get yeah. fired unexpectedly from a job, um, some sort of mistreatment at your with your employer, and you, you're you're passed up for raises or bonuses or promotions or whatever, and you know you just find yourself in a, a you know in a tough tough spot. Yeah. Um, but to me, like what I've learned is there's great things to to learn when you hit the bottom and when you're living in the basement, not in the palace. Mm, and come on. Um, it's it's in those times when your character is really formed and forged. It's you know it's 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 easy to live in the sunlight, yeah. but when you're in the basement and you ain't getting any light, um, you know that is where we're going to find what you're really made of. 
Yeah. And sometimes that's just the, a circuitous route to get you where you need to be. Mm. And so it's just a paradigm shift in your thinking on how you're looking at that, that moment in time. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. It's really good. And I caught you in there preaching a little bit. Um, <laughs> folks, my friends, uh, I've heard Fontanella, Chris, uh, as I call him font, man, I've heard him preach many times too. And I want to, I want to shift in a second, ask you about Michelle Patterson and how she recognized a gift there that could be, um, you know, transposed and used in another way. But this guy can preach, this guy can preach. I've heard it. And, uh, <laughs> man, I remember one, uh, I remember, uh, you know, after an earthquake out in Southern California, the small church that you were pastoring and we were trying to help, uh, you know, get going and everything. And, uh, I remember you talking about an unshakable kingdom, uh, right out of Hebrews and man, you were preaching it. And I was reminded of that this morning because Chris, my wife, my, my wife, Chris, not this guy font reminded me of that verse today. That was, I think the verse of the day or the verse that she saw was about God giving us an unshakable kingdom. So this guy can preach and could you hear it a little bit as it was coming out? But tell me about, uh, you know, I know, and I, I'm looking at the clock and I've used up some of our time. We're going to go a little bit long, but Tell me about Michelle Patterson and how she saw in you. Maybe you need to give a little background on how, you know, you were headed for ministry and then you wind up in this other field. Or tell me whatever you want about uh, what Michelle Patterson saw in you and your gifts. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a little background. I yeah. mean, I, yeah. I had been spending all these years studying for the ministry. I sort of had a um, an event happen in my life. I went through a divorce, and I just I wasn't— I wasn't comfortable with the idea of being a pastor with divorce on my resume. Okay. And so I sort of found myself in a spot where I needed to redirect my life and my career and all this kind of stuff. And at the time I was working at uh, Bank of America and the division I was in was getting sold to another bank in Minnesota. And you basically had a year to figure out if you wanted to move to Minnesota or you know, go find another job somewhere. Well, I, I knew within 30 seconds, I ain't, there's no way I'm moving. <laughs> so I, I went back to my office and I started looking for a new job. And literally the same day, I, I called this blind ad and wow. it, was, um, it was the president of the Pacific region of Robert Half International. And he said, I want you to call this lady, Michelle, and go meet with her. And, and um, wow. I think we can use a guy like you. And when I met Michelle, she just, She's just fantastic, and she had this insight that, look, I know you don't, you know, you you don't want to talk about your pastoral side or whatever, but like, there's a lot of stuff there that relates to what, you know, I'm I'm trying to identify in a candidate for this position, uh, this sales role. Wow, and it's going out and talking to people and sharing what we can offer, and like that seems really important to you. You know, that's why you wanted to be a pastor. You wanted to help people. You wanted to, you know. Um, preach a message and, yeah. and how about making Robert half your message? And yeah. I, it just kind of clicked in my head. Like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. And I jumped into the, the staffing industry and I, and I found that I loved it. It was great. Yeah. And you've just been a really big success in this thing. And which is why I love the book against the grain counterintuitive ideas on business and life by Chris Fontanella. All right. I want to ask you again, this is not really fair because I only got to four or five chapters, but I don't remember the exact detail of which company you were with at a certain point when you, um, I think you had uh, 
read Bill Parce- Bill Parcell's book, and so you shifted yeah. the way. I think I might be getting the stories yeah. mixed up, but you were about happier employees. Can you tell us about yeah. that and also the result? Because you you made a very counterintuitive decision. So tell us about that if you don't mind. Yeah, so uh, that's a great book. I would recommend that book to anybody. Hey, hey, get, hey! Um, we're not. No, no, no. We're not recommending that book. We, we got one <laughs> book right now. Chris yeah, Fontanella. <laughs> Um, no, he the, the book just filled my mind with um, just looking at things differently, and I was getting ready to assume a managerial position at, at Robert Half International, okay. which meant I, I still had to generate revenue. Like, I had revenue goals for myself, but then I was responsible for the production of people underneath me. Yeah. And at the time, like, the demand, the, the requirements that the company had for the employees were, were pretty high. It was like... When you were on your marketing week, which meant you were making cold calls to try to drum up business, you had to make 65 calls a day. Yeah. That's just a lot of calls, man. Yeah. And then, um, and then when you were doing your, your meetings where you're actually out in the field meeting clients, you had to do 10 to 12 meetings a week. And so that's you driving around in a car, visiting, you know, 10 different clients. I mean, you could visit three at one company, but like, it's still a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I just always felt like it was it was too much. And I just saw the weight of that crushing the employees. Mm. And so I came back from a, a two-day, three-day vacation. I read Bill Parcell's book, and then I came back to the office, and I gathered my team in a conference room, and I said, look, you guys say that what I'm about to say. I'm going to call you a liar because <laughs> I hadn't gotten any approvals from management, but I just – my gut was telling me less would be more. Yeah. And so I said, look, I don't want you making 65 calls. I want you making 25, like really good calls. I don't want you doing 12 meetings wow. a week. I want you to do like seven, but make them really good meetings. Yeah. And sure enough, like the, the employees were happier. They were less stressed and our productivity went up. Yeah. Like we generated more revenue than we were doing, you know, the quarter before and the year before that. So it was like, it just it just seemed to work. Right, which was amazing. But then what I'm expecting font is that man, somebody's going to find out and they're going to be they're going to be really happy about this. So tell us tell us what happens next if you don't mind. Yeah, that well that's the thing. They they did find out. They you know, obviously the numbers didn't lie. Yeah. And they wanted to know what I was doing with my team to, you know, create such um positive productivity and I remember looking at them going, well, how honest do you want me to be? And they're like, <laughs> be honest. And so, and I think I say in my book, my pastoral side still had a pulse, so I felt compelled to be honest. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of a pulse I still have, but back then I had a little one. <laughs> you do. So um, I was honest, and I said, look, I, I just I just cut the expectations down, and everybody's happier, and they're they're working with more they're they're studying more before they make the phone call. They're doing more research on a company before they visit the the client. And sure enough, and but what I didn't really appreciate at the time was the the company's culture and what was important to them from a um, how they want all their employees to function the same way in sort of a homogenous fashion. And here's here's our roadmap on success. Okay. And I deviated from that and I took a different path and still got to success, but um, they didn't like that. We weren't doing things the Robert halfway. Okay. 
So what happens? They were pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So you have the success. It's not like your numbers were the same or a little bit low. You have more success than ever before, and they were upset. Yeah, just because, you know, and I I think I put it in my book that I didn't appreciate at the time, probably because I was a little immature in my uh, professional life, that some of those cultural company cultural things are their sacred cows. Yeah. And um, it's important to maintain um, those standards within an organization. And um, that those, those um, manners of doing things, they didn't want to be changed. Okay. So looking back now, I mean, if, if you had the same exact situation, what would, would you do it differently? I would probably still do it the same way. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, so I it wasn't just that you were as young. an individual or whatever, mm. but like it, it was unorthodox and yeah. the approach I took was different, but I, I had a clear line of sight that I knew it was going to work. Right. And sure enough, it did. And it, it wasn't drastic changes. I mean, it, the number of calls were, I was still doing the same things. Right. I just did less and we got more from doing less. Right, right. And I love it. it wasn't just like work less. You were like, I want these quality meetings. I want you to yeah. know the companies that you're talking about, you know, talking with. Because having those quality meetings is going to allow for um, the, the sale. It's going to happen. Right. So, yeah. yeah. You, you just come across a little more informed. Right. You know, maybe you've got a question or two that you put in your back pocket that you pull out during a meeting. Like, right. Hey, you know, I read something in the newspaper about your company or I saw something in, you know, you know, on a web page or something or maybe an SEC report that they filed or something, right. you know, something that you could say leaves the client knowing that you took the time to learn about the organization. Right, right. Okay, that's awesome. All right, I am really looking forward to reading the rest of the book, but give me just give me a story or an idea that you want to share with our listeners today. Um, I mean, you know, this counterintuitive idea is not just for business, it's for life. So what, what else do you want to share with us today, Font? I can't wait to, re- um, I can't wait to finish reading this. Yeah. And if, if you want, we could, we could, uh, you know, do another session and talk, talk more after you read, but, um, great. You know, the, the, the overall concept of the, of the book is, you know, sort of hearing your, your inner voice. Um, um, your your viewers and listeners would, you know, say that's the Holy Spirit. And I, right. I didn't use that term because I wanted to appeal to a broader audience. But yeah, it's it's hearing hearing that voice and being true, true to yourself with that voice and then not being afraid that sometimes um, the out of the box thought or the unorthodox approach yeah. um could lead you to to where you're actually supposed to be, and everybody's path is different, right? Yeah. Um, so that's why that's the importance of listening to your voice, yeah. um, because your 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 path may veer off away from mine, right? Um, to lead you where you need to be, and you you've got to have enough cojones, so to speak, to, <laughs> to be true to that voice, yeah, and follow that path, and and um. And then just watch how things unfold yeah. um, for you. And I just did my best to try to, to hear what direction I felt like I was being led and then be true to that. 
And it didn't always lead me into, you know, bliss and, and right. you know, right. um, you know, the sense of paradise. I mean, I had a lot, there were a lot of challenges along sure. the way. So it doesn't mean that when you listen to that voice that you're, you're going to have trouble, you're going to be a trouble free um, lifestyle. Right. It just means that you're, it's, you know, it, it, you're creating your own sort of roadmap as you're going along the way and you do your best along the way to hear and like, okay, I feel like, I need to take steps in this direction, and then you start moving in that direction. Right. And things unfold, and then, you you know, you deal with those things as, as they come your way. Right. Okay, so, Font, you kind of got me curious. I mean, so uh, I, I get that you were talking about in general terms, and then you're recognizing, like, my audience is going to be, you know, mostly Christians that are going to identify, oh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So my question for you is, I mean, do you feel like that inner voice is – the Holy Spirit for you, or do you feel like it's something else? That's a loaded question. Um, oh, and he just hung yeah, up. <laughs> no, it's a good question. Um, I, I, for me, they're, they're probably interchangeable, I guess. Um, you know, I obviously have years from studying for the ministry and my my pastoral days where I worked hard to try to listen to that to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not as actively involved in, in church life anymore, but I, I, I think that they're interchangeable. Whatever's coming to me, I don't, I don't know if it, it's definitely coming from beyond me, but it's inside yeah. of me. Like, yeah. And, and I just do my best to, to be true to it. Yeah. And, um, and for whatever reasons for me, it's, it's helped me create a pretty interesting life a fascinating and, and which life i'm super thankful for and mucho appreciative of yeah that's awesome uber appreciative <laughs> <laughs> all right what uh what is that voice you know leading you to now do you do you know do you wait what's what's happening now yeah i don't know i'm kind of in an interesting spot i mean um business my business stuff is picking up again which is nice because yeah. of the reopening and people getting vaccinated yeah um I enjoyed I enjoyed writing the book. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was something different, and so I, I don't know. I think when you get to the end of the book, you'll see like I basically say, "Look, I you know I I took you through my wine, winding road yeah. to sort of give you an idea of like how how a path can evolve and all this kind of stuff." But it's not a roadmap for you to follow my exact steps. Yeah, um, and you know, I remind the reader that like this is my story, and here's some things I learned. But like you need to find your story and and your path. Yeah, um, and I'm at a point now where like I don't know what I'm going to do. I even I even mentioned like wouldn't it be interesting if my path now leads me back to being a pastor? Dude, um, yeah, that would be awesome. That would be counterintuitive. I, I, I love it. I, I haven't love heard it. that voice yet. But, yeah, you know. Wouldn't that be interesting, though, that here I've come full circle in another sort of way, and now I'm back to being a pastor? Oh, man, that would be so cool. That would be cool. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it could be really cool. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, my my life experiences now would really color a lot of what I would say in a sermon. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I don't know if you saw in the beginning of the book where I referenced Andy Dufresne from Shawshank or Death Redemption. I, I did, yeah. That sense of being cleansed of, like, the, you know, life has a way of just staining us with a bunch of stuff. Right. And that sensation of being cleansed from that is amazing. And But, like, those those things that you've experienced that put those stains on you, 
are really good material for those those people sitting in the in the church and wanting to hear something real and needing some sort of inspiration. Yeah. Um, and then you tie in the scriptures and stuff like that. It, it, it could be powerful. Oh, it will be powerful. That is exciting, man. Wow. I didn't know that was something, <laughs> you know, that is kind of coming up to the surface. But that is really exciting. I told you all he could preach. I told you. <laughs> well, I'd be, I'd be curious um, when you finish. Like, I, I, for me. I'll have you back on. I think the book gets better as, as you go on because oh. I start weaving. The concepts that I introduce in the beginning, I start weaving into my experiences throughout the story as it goes on. And I, okay. I, I, I okay. circle back to the, the drop and I circle back to oh, 10% nice. high, 10% lows and 80% normal. Like my dad taught me, you know, like yeah. all these concepts start weaving in okay. through the, all the way through the end. And so to me, the story gets better as you go on. Oh my gosh. Awesome. So you, you've got some callbacks from your, uh, yeah from the uh, ice house comedy club days that I didn't know you're managing another, another time, another story <laughs> did not know that until the book. All right, here's what we'll do. I'll finish reading this book. And if you don't mind, we'll get another time to go ahead and have part two on this. If you're, if you're cool. With oh, that. I love that. That would okay. be awesome. I really enjoyed this. This was fantastic, man. You're, you're awesome. And, uh, man, I appreciate you. And I'm excited about what, uh, you know, what that voice, what the Holy spirit might be leading you to do and what he might be opening up. Um, I can tell you right now, I mean, you'd be a, you'll be a great pastor and you're a great preacher. And I do like the idea of you think about whatever, there's so many stories in scripture, right? Of whether it, not to call you Jonah, not to call you Moses, not to call you this or that, but I mean, Thank those you. stories, <laughs> <laughs> those stories of God, you know, calling someone when you'd think, oh, no, nah, that chapter is probably passed and then to bring it back. Oh man. That would yeah, be awesome. That's the thing. Like, one experience does not have to define you. So, like, even yeah. if, if something goes wrong in your life, that one experience doesn't have to define you. Oh yeah. Um, there's some. There's it's something right around the bend, you know, and you just got to keep walking. Yeah, that's good. All right. Any last thoughts for today before we uh, sign off on part one? Well, I, I think I've you know rambled on enough and gave at least some food for all right, that's well, this is awesome. So thank you, uh, Chris Fontanella, and we'll look forward to part two. Um, that was just great. So here's how I'm going to sign off is I'm just going to remind our, our listeners, you know, the Apostle Paul went against the grain. He went against the flow. And what Chris referenced earlier, that, look, just because you're listening to that inner voice and that Holy Spirit doesn't mean that everything always works out perfect. Well, let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul would say, amen, brother, preach it. Preach it, font man, because he, he followed that voice. And it led him to persecution, led him to hate, led him to shipwrecks, led him to death. So it's not, it's not about just that rosy uh, rose garden and rainbows and all that. It's about being obedient to that voice. And that does go against the flow. And it may go against the comfort of who you are or where you are, but the Apostle Paul understood that, and you can see that Fontman understands it too, just, man, that that hope to see how that voice leads you and different things, different outcomes happen, but it's it's a good story. It's a good story. So um, uh, the Apostle Paul knew about this, so he talked about we have this incredible hope. And so we, we share it. We have to. In fact, what Fontanella is doing with his counterintuitive ideas is being very bold. 
we get that from the Apostle Paul. And I'll sign off with this and say you can write me steve at verybold.com if you need to get in touch with the font man or get a hold of his book. It's on Amazon right now. But uh, I'll just remind you this. This is what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. Steve at VeryBold.com